background initially, which we spoke about in triathlons and things like that, enables me when I get injured to focus on other things. So to swim and ride, which I did. And I actually got bloody good in the pool again, which I really enjoyed. I was swimming with a guy, Buddy Portier in Melbourne. Um, and I got back into the swimming and I was able to, you know, get a feel for the water again and actually explored the transition into triathlon um, again. And had if I had my time again, I probably wished I had have tried the triathlon in that sort of 08, 09, 10 period and given it more, like I gave it a red hot crack, but as soon as I got a sense that I could run again, mm. I was back into running and I'll kind of, I don't wish, but if, if, if I got my career again, I think I would, I would like to have tried the triathlon from 010. I remember in 09, I was over in London with my Achilles and I went to um, Hyde Park and I filmed myself walking the triathlon course saying in 2012 I'd like to win a gold medal in triathlon. And I never did anything with the video because I didn't do it. But I was actually in my mind, I was thinking I could transition into triathlon. And obviously it was never going to be that easy. Jonathan Brownlee, Javier Gomez and all these guys are unreal. Like I had delusions of grandeur. But um, I think I actually – was. In, in all honesty, was seriously considering that sort of transition into into that space. And I was working with a guy called John O'Hall at the Victorian Institute of Sport, who was the head tri coach, still a good mate of mine, um, around what that might look like from a path pathway, should I transition into it. And we got really close um, during that period. So we talk about how hard it was trying to battle, battle the Achilles, but it was actually really exciting in another mm. instance because there was other opportunities presenting. And my biggest concern, and I expressed this to John O, was I don't think I can run good enough to compete with guys like Brownlee and that. And he goes, well, hang on, <laughs> you've done, you know, you're one of the best runners in the world. And I said, yeah, but with my Achilles and with, and I've got to be able to pick up the swim and then pick up the bike, I've got to let go of something. And that that's the running. Yeah. Can I run 13.30 off the bike, which is, you know, these guys are running under 14 minutes off the bike or 29.30 off the bike. That my biggest worry was not the, whether I could swim good enough or ride good enough, it was whether I could run with these guys. So that's how good they are. Makes sense too, though. That, like you've come yeah, off a long yeah. break with Yep, with and whether I could get back into the running mm. to a nice level. Anyway, so we get through 2010, build back into it, and cut a long story short again, um, get back into reasonable nick with my running, and um, Achilles are good, they're okay, um, and qualify for my fourth Olympics in the 5K. So take, so that you've, you've just run at Lakeside, is... Your Chris Wardlaw is mentoring. Chris Wardlaw's coaching. Yep. Yeah, so and he's a very famous man in Australia. So worked yeah. with um, many good Australian distance yeah. runners. So that. Rab's been. He was the head coach of the Australian Olympic team in two thousand. Um, he's been a mentor. He's probably more of a mentor. He's a coach. He's, he was my coach, but he's more of a mentor at that sort of point in your career. Yeah. Where I always think, no matter who you are, no matter how good you are, and how strong you are, you need to have someone to stand beside you. Um, even if it's just for a bit of affirmation or even if it's just to bounce an idea off. Because sometimes when you're in the trenches, you sort of can't see the wood from the trees. You've got to really have an outside eye looking in to help guide. And that's what he, what he was for me. And I remember in, in 09, 010, he was a real calming influence in terms of everything that was going on um, with me um, and my running. So to have him with me through that was really good. He's worked with Mona. Um, Karen McCann, run with Deeks and all these sort of guys, and um, Pat Clahessy, who's one of the greatest Australian distance coaches ever. So he's got a really great wealth of knowledge. Um, and I still was, only spoke to him last week um, about other various bits and pieces. But um, So he was helped guiding me through that. And it was actually his birthday, that same day that I ran um, at, uh, at Lakeside. And, and I had a really good race with Collis Birmingham, who was one of my former training partners uh, prior to 08. 
2008, Collis and I used to train a lot together. Um, and then so to come up against him at that race was, was good fun. It was very competitive. Um, but I remember in the morning of that race at Lakeside, my father-in-law came around to my house and I was just, and I'd <laughs> moved my, my wife out of the house for the day. And I was always very clear on what I felt I needed on competition day. And I just said, I just need to be by myself. Um, just, you know, I'll see you afterwards. I didn't need people to tell me anything. I was okay. Um, and my father-in-law came around for a coffee and he's he talking about other stuff. And then he sort of said to me, oh, what do you think about tonight? And I said, I'll tell you what's going to happen. It'll be st steady through 3K. And then Collis will go to the front with five laps to go and he'll try to get rid of me. And that'll be, and he goes, how do you know that'll happen? And I go, because his coach was my coach and that's what he would have told me. And he, he'll, be think, he'll outthink himself and that'll be exactly what happens. And sure enough, steady through 3K, 5K, five laps to go, Collis goes to the front and I was all over it. Um, and then it became man on man, which was my bread and butter. And as soon as that happened, the rain started to fall. And I remember as soon as he went to the front, I thought, it's over because I, it was just so predictable what was going to happen and follow, 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 and then 250 to go. This is so good. Move on. <laughs> and, and it was one of those, look, and Collis is awesome. He's a great athlete and everything else, but fuck, I'd be 100% honest. That, that felt really good just to win back again in Melbourne for after no, yeah, for after being away for so long, but for no other reason than Melbourne was where I trained. That was where I had a lot of my best runs and I wanted to just, get back out there and, and remind people mm. that I could still run. And I qualified for my Olympics and after the race, we went to the pancake parlor because it was the only thing that was open after I was drug tested. I got out of there about midnight, and went to the pancake parlor. Just you and a few stoners in the pancake parlor. Well, that's it, yeah. There was uni students doing yeah, homework, yeah. that sort of funny, stoners. Funny to say that. <laughs> but I remember driving there and my brother from the UK, Andrew, my older brother rang me and he goes, just see the result. And my brother, well, I've got two brothers, and we never really give each other credit because that's what boys do. Uh, we just sort of normally give each other shit. And he rang me and he said, oh, I saw the result. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, I've got to tell you, that's actually pretty cool. Four Olympics is pretty amazing. And for me, I remember thinking, if your brother's ringing you telling, that, telling you that that's actually pretty good, it's pretty good. So normally he would ring me and go, mate, you only ran 12.55. Why couldn't you run 12.50, you know? Like, well, you finished second doing that. That's pretty shit. Why didn't you? But after that, he said, you know, that's actually pretty good. 16 years, 14 years, whatever it is, of high-level running and you're still able to pull that off, he said, that's pretty good. In the hardest sport in the world, it's a short list of four-time Olympians, mm. mate, in, in distance running. So, um, And not taking any credit, I mean, away from other sports either, but distance running is easily the hardest sport to stay at the top. You don't get a log window. No, so four, window. four Olympics is phenomenal. And tell us about your – I know at the time you might not have thought it was your last, but you had, a, you had an inkling it might have been your last – what about lining up in London on yeah. the start line? It's a pretty special stadium. It was absolutely awesome. And I, London's my second home. I got a British passport. My parents are from there. So it's um, it was good. I remember I tried to really enjoy it because, as you say, it was I didn't know it at the time, but it was probably going to be my last. My wife was six months pregnant with our first child. Um, so there were a lot, of, a lot of things that had evolved since Beijing that made it different. Um, I stayed in the village for this one, which I hadn't done... Um, since Sydney because I wanted to be part of the team and that was the different approach that I had beyond 2008 was I wanted to feel a bit more engaged with everything that was going on um, in in the sport albeit I was injured for a lot of that time but I I wanted to be back involved with some of the younger athletes I wanted to be part of the team I wanted to experience what the Olympics was about um, and then London 
to be quite honest, it was never about trying to get a medal. It was about trying to enjoy that experience and trying to make the final. That was my, my ultimate goal. Um, and went in um, happy, relaxed, trained really well, got into the final, look, uh, not into the final, got into the semi-final rather and enjoyed looking at the Olympic flame, looking around the stadium, knowing that I had family in the crowd and all that sort of stuff. And um, I didn't make the final, but I ran the way I wanted to run. I knew on if it came to a kick down like the Beijing scenario, I would miss out on the final. So I went to the front um, and tried to qualify um, either automatically in the top four or in the top eight on time. So the way they work, first four in each heat, in each semi get automatically qualified for the final. And then the next four or next three, depending on how many semis there are, get, get in subject on time. So that can be across each of the semis. So I figured my best chance was to be in the faster of the semis and to qualify uh, probably on time rather than the top four. And as it turned out, I, I missed out on both, um, but I was happy. I was happy that I did what I wanted to do. I ran um, the way I wanted to run. I was disappointed to miss out on the final, obviously, but um, I had a lot of other really good positive things going on in my life at that time. So I was quite content um, to be where I was um, and really enjoy that that experience in 2012. Yeah, it's pretty special. So you've knocked off there, four-time Olympian, first bubs on the way now. Yep. I don't remember if the oldest name would say Christian Christian was born yep so life's mate the best it'll ever be mate <laughs> the best it'll never be the same yeah. again but it's no, all right. that's right it yeah. gets better and better every every day take the listeners through I guess the next the next period of your life where um look Rio is still on the cards yeah, yeah. a long way down the track you moved to the roads for a period of time let's, let's, look, yeah. so let's go through the next the next Olympia the four years there was really family, no there was stuff. no routine to the next four years which is what happens when you have kids you sort of the only routine is there is no routine you kind of have to figure it out as you go and um, Christian was born uh, about four months after the Olympics um, three or four months after the Olympics and it was about um, just trying to balance all that stuff in we played around with the triathlon sort of scenario again trying to think uh, trying to work through whether or not that was something I feel this is an itch that needs to be scratched uh, yeah look fella. It, it 100% is it's past me now um, please yeah, be an age grouper but I'm yeah anyway that's another conversation but the I we seriously considered it um, to the point where I presented to the triathlon Australia board um, in the city um, a proposal to go through to Rio, so a four-year proposal to go through to Rio, and Triathlon Australia were fantastic. They, you know, they they're a sport that is growing, up and coming. They're all looking at transitioning our best, well, not our best, but our, you know, if we could, our best runners into the sport of triathlon, because that's their opportunity to to get results. Um, so we, I presented that version of how that I thought that might play out for me, and they they were on board with it. So they actually agreed that this was a great opportunity and we came to an agreement in regards to what that might look like. Um, and I remember in 2013, whenever it was, we had one of these 36 degree days in Melbourne, howling northerly, and I was due to be riding out to King Lake um, for a training ride. And I was back working with John O'Hall, who was helping me tra with the transition into triathlon and got halfway out there and I had I hadn't slept the night before because Christian was bloody two months old and whatever, and I got halfway out there and I just thought, you know what, fuck this, I'm 33 years old. I don't need to be doing this. I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I really, my heart wasn't fully invested in it, and I think if you're going to do something like that, especially if you're going to be working with a national sporting organisation and, and being you know, potentially paid to do so and all that sort of stuff, you have to be honest and be fully committed, and I just 
felt at that point in my life I wasn't going to give it every, wasn't be able to get it wasn't going to be able to give it everything. So I turned around, rode back, had a chat with Christine, and then made the decision then and there that it wasn't it wasn't going to happen for me. So I rang um, the CEO of Triathlon Australia, and um, and she she was she was actually awesome. She was really good. I just said, look, I've got to be hundred percent honest. I I could sit here and and take the ride for the next three years, but I've got to be honest with you. I I, I don't think it's for me. I, I just I just don't think I got the heart for it now. My life's moved beyond the the hundred percent commitment to sport um, as an athlete. So we just nipped it in the bud right then and there, and um, and just got back into into the routine of of living. And I needed to get a job because obviously the the contracts with running and everything wound up at the end of twenty twelve, uh, which is really daunting for a lot of athletes, and especially in the sport of athletics, where very very few athletes get paid to participate in sport. Um, you have to always consider what's going to happen post, post your running career. And for me, I went to uni, got my degree. Um, as I said, started the negotiation process of my contracts in the second half of my career or the latter part of my career and meet, working with meat promoters and doing my own logistics from a travel perspective and all that sort of stuff. So I've, I, you know, I've got a, a worldly experience in a lot of areas, albeit not an expert in, in anything um, other than running circles on a track. So the transition into um, into work was was interesting, and I always think if you if you do good things for people, it comes back and and helps you later in life. And I remember in two thousand and nine, uh, a friend well, it wasn't a friend, it was a a colleague somewhere um, got in touch with me and said um, that they had a, a cousin who um, was having a birthday, um, and he he was turning sixteen, and he idolised me as a runner. Um, could I take him for a training session? This is in 2009 and I was injured with my Achilles and I said, look, happy to take him for a training session, um, no problem. Um, and he said, and can you do a video so we can show it at his birthday party? I said, yeah, no worries. And I was in Spain at this time, so I did a, a Skype video and Skyped in live to his birthday and said, happy birthday, you know, your birthday present from your uncle is to come for a training session with me, blah, blah, blah. And he was wrapped and the uncle, who's a very, very wealthy businessman, like, you know, runs Melbourne basically said um how much do you want I said you know what I don't want anything I'm, I'm helping a 16 year old kid who loves to run man I'll do it for free all day it's just it's nothing for me for me to stand up on a video and say happy birthday and to go for a run with this kid so nothing happened did I did that did the running session everything had a great time then nothing for three nearly four years after 2012 I started to network around to try to see where opportunities were for work in commercial operations and licensing sort of roles in sport Went and met with Channel 7, met with the AFL, actually met with Gillan McLaughlin before he was the CEO and sat in his office and he said, what do you want to do? And I told him this and he kind of laughed at me and he goes, what experience do you have? And I said, well, not a great deal, but I think I could make it work. And uh, anyway, so if I had a lot of people trying to help me out. And so Gillan obviously very well networked in, in sport and Channel 7 and a few other various bits and pieces that I people that I'd spoken to were obviously speaking to other people. And then this guy rang me out of the blue I was in the car and I was driving home and his name was Rob Hilton and he wouldn't even think that I would ever mention him and go I'm forever grateful for this um, he rang me and he said oh here you're networking around for a job and I said yeah look you know, and I didn't know this bloke and I said look yeah no I'm just doing whatever and he goes well I'm I'm Kyle's father and Kyle was the, the 16 year old boy that I did his birthday and he goes I run a um, a sports merchandise or a merchandise business in Melbourne called the promotions factory um, I want you to come and work for me. 
and he offered me a job on the phone right then and there to help head up a sports new sports brand which he had started called Star Athletic, which was doing the sports apparel for Collingwood and all that sort of stuff. Um, and he said, I want come meet me for a coffee. So I went met for a coffee um, and he said, righto, you start tomorrow. And he gave me a job like that. And he didn't have to do that. And um, so that was, that was amazing. And so I worked for him for three years uh, and I learned so much in that three years around um, sports licensing, apparel, merchandise, um, negotiations, all that sort of stuff. And he was fantastic. Um, and that's really helped us and helped me in, in regards to what I'm doing now from a, from a business perspective. Well, I guess, yeah, before we get on to the marathon journey, tell us about, <laughs> tell us about Elite Wellbeing because you and Christine do a magnificent job around Melbourne and Victoria for many years now. So mm. get into that because that's great stuff. Well, yeah, it is. Look, and it's, it's not about promoting what we do, no, obviously, this sort of thing. That. It's about um, sharing a story mm. so that people can, you know, relate and, and understand the challenges and everything else. But during that period from 2012 to 2016, that Rio period, obviously we spoke about trying to find work and then working and all that sort of stuff. But I started to dabble in the coaching side of it as well because I was obviously interested in, in helping people with their running and um, started at a school, actually Halebury College, which is one of our clients now, and um, just coaching the cross-country team and started there and then they needed another coach and the head of sport there asked whether I had any other people that could help with the coaching, so I started... Uh, bringing in another coach um, at Halebury to help out. And then the business, it wasn't a business at that point, it was just me coaching and doing other various bits and pieces. And then um, Christine and I, my wife's got a PhD in, in athlete wellbeing, so she's in the psychology space. Um, and she, at the time, and still is, I think probably one of very few women in Australia to have that qualification. Everyone talks about wellbeing and, um, and what it is um, and what it could be and how we all need to be focusing on this sort of area of our lives and balancing everything and um, Christine was ahead of her time in that respect and she you know she foresaw foresaw foresee that as, a, as an area of huge growth and, and importance in um, in sport and in life um, so off the back of the coaching and obviously Christine's PhD and things like that we we started a business called elite well-being we run sport performance and well-being programs for primarily for schools um, and corporates, so we do quite a lot with. Um, we've got about we've got eleven independent schools in Melbourne that we run programs for. We've got about eighteen thousand kids um, that share in the programs that we um, facilitate, uh, and we've got a number of coaches uh, coaches that are obviously in there facilitating those programs. I can't personally do all of it, and nor can Christine, but um, we're forever grateful for the opportunities that we get to work with these schools and corporate groups because we get to do what we love um, and have a positive impact on on the groups that we work with or we hope we have a positive impact on the groups that we work with. Um, so yeah, that sort of started in that 2012-2013 window um, and over the last four or five years that's grown into what it is today which has allowed me to resign from TPF and the job that Rob gave me and, and go into our own business. Um, which has been fantastic. It's really challenging, as you know, running a small business. Um, but we are in the process of trying to project where, what our next step is and what the, the evolution of the business is moving forward, um, which is really, really exciting. So um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and we, we're in the coaching space in, in a nutshell, to be quite honest. But it's, um, it's been really good. And yeah. the growth has been great. And the, the clients that we have are fantastic. And I think... If you take the same approach that you that I had with my running into business, we will be 
successful. We're not we're not here to make no. millions of dollars. We're here to when I say successful, it's to have a positive impact. And I, when I was running, I was never afraid to have a go. I was never afraid of not not getting the result I wanted, but I was afraid of not giving it everything to see and try. And I felt when we started the business, if we didn't give it a go, I would be forever frustrated. And my mother-in-law actually said, gave me some advice. We were talking about it at dinner one night, and she said, you know what, Craig, the only difference between you and those that are out there doing it is simply that they're out there doing it. You just, ha- you just actually have to make make the step. What's her name? Christine. Oh, Barb. Barb. Barb, that is a bloody cracker. <laughs> hey, Barb, we might get you on the. We might get you on next week. But she's the, uh, yeah, she's she's very very uh, worldly yeah, in that that's respect. Cool. And it's and exactly right, mate. It is. You just got to try. And what's the worst thing that happens? Same with racing. What's the worst thing that happens? You come second or third or last, whatever. The end of the day, you put it out there. The sun comes up tomorrow. And great quote about it. It's about helping people. And if you can make a difference in people's lives, good thing happens as well. Absolutely, and it so comes back in space. And we've said that in three or four different instances in the last twenty minutes, which. It just, it is, it's never a true word spoken, buddy. Now, the marathon's an interesting journey. So you've got this business on, the business is hard enough, mate. Like, yeah. Business is hard enough, let alone trying to race marathons. Yeah. Um, Rio, you decided, maybe I'll go for the road. Now, you've, you're one and done at the moment on the marathon. Oh, no, did you race Great Ocean Road Marathon? I've done, yeah, I've done yeah. a few. You've yeah, done I've a few done. marathons. Yep. But the, the big one that you were going to yep. qualify for. Yeah. Look, succinct it in two or three minutes. I know it's yeah, probably yeah. going to go for 15 minutes. Yeah, but, yeah. And then the London marathon experience was, was quite humorous. Yes, so <laughs> marathons, so I got two kids at this point um, and I remember thinking that marathons, I, if I was going to go to a fifth Olympics and after London, I didn't think of the fifth one, but when it started to come up, I thought, you know what, no other Australian male, no other Australian track and field athlete ever been to five Olympics, why not? I'm, I'm physically able, I'm in a position to have a go, so I did. I thought I'm going to give it a crack, so I trained um, my ass off for it, thinking that you know I was half a chance. And just to set it, set up the marathon, it's a really interesting event for anyone that's run it. It's it's not the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's really hard to get it right. I think is probably the best explanation from my experience, anyway. Um, the year before um, I ran London, I ran Melbourne Marathon with Jess Trengove, and paced Jess through. She wanted to run two twenty eight, um, and so I said, oh, "I'll do that with you," because she was training with me here in Melbourne. Um, her, her coach is from Adelaide, Adam Diddick, and she was in Melbourne for a year, and so she transitioned into my group um, under Adam's guidance, obviously, as her coach, but just to have an environment to train with here. So I was helping her out quite a bit while she was in Melbourne and said I'd <laughs> pace it, which is a fucking stupid idea. But anyway, I did. And um, I remember the day before, our business was growing at this point, so we were, we were running Saturday programs, school sports programs on Saturday. The day before... I was at Lakeside from 6.30 in the morning till 7 p.m. at night, running an Aths Carnival all day. Um, so I hadn't eaten all day, um, got home, was up all night with my kids, um, went to McDonald's at four o'clock in the morning, got a flat white and a blueberry muffin, and then went to the hotel at 4.30 or five o'clock. I got there, picked Jess up from the hotel and then jogged down to the MCG to start the marathon. That was my preparation. I'd done no, well, done a bit of training. I was just carrying over my fitness. No preparation, no drinks, hadn't organised anything for the marathon. I think I was wearing the wrong shorts and, you know, had nothing right. I was just there to pace Jess um, as far as I could go. And I'd parked near Domain Bakery on Domain Road and that, actually, as it turned out, that was at 28K or 38K because you sort of come past it at 28 on St Kilda Road, then you go down around the town and then back up. And, and I said to Jess, I'll go to 28K and then if you really need me, I'll try to stay in a bit longer um, but I'm parked on the main road, so I don't want to have to go too far to get to my car. 
Um, so she goes, yeah, 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 no worries. And so she's focusing on what she's doing. Anyway, pace her through. We're a little bit off at 10K and she was uh, anxious about that, wanted to go a bit quicker. And I said, don't worry, we'll, we'll get to where we need to be at the right time. You just let me focus on, on the pace. Took her through 20K, bang on, 25K, we're on pace, 30K or 28K, we're a little bit ahead of where we needed to be. Um, and I said, how are you going? And she turned, she said, I need you to stay in a bit longer. I said, okay. So I kept going and at 38K, um, we were ahead of schedule. And I said to her, you've got it from here. I need to get a latte and a muffin, I'm fucking starving. <laughs> and um, so I step off and off she goes, she ran 227.30 or whatever, ran a marathon, like no problem. And I felt really good, no drinks, nothing, no organisation, nothing. Felt really good, um, getting the car drive home. Decide I want to run a marathon a year later in London and try to qualify for my fifth Olympics. Speak to Chris. Yep, this is the plan. Blah, 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 blah. We get through the next 12 months basically uninterrupted. Preparation's gone really well. Um, get to the London Marathon and I'm, I'm not overly confident that I can run 212, 213, but I, I needed to run 214, 20, I think was what I needed to run. So I need to go through halfway in 67 minutes and just maintain that. And I thought, yeah, okay, I ran 220 about 228 a year ago for the marathon without doing too much, I'll be fine. Um, just keep it nice and steady. Um, gun goes through halfway 67.01 and I, was, I knew I was in, I was starting to get into trouble. <laughs> I was I had about 17K, I was like, oh, far out. Not feeling as good as I, I would have liked. And I hadn't run a half marathon previously. I hadn't, I just, in, if I had, again, if I had my time again, I probably would have done a few things differently, but I, what the biggest mistake I made was I underestimated life. I underestimated how work would impact me, how two kids would impact me. Um, and I, I think the biggest thing I didn't get was recovery. When I was a full-time athlete, the recovery was hugely important. Um, but when you got three, two kids and a mar and business and that sort of stuff, you don't necessarily get that recovery. So get through halfway and it's slipping away. And I remember at 25K, I was gone. And not gone, like I wasn't in all sorts, but I was slowing significantly. And I took my water bottle at 25K and I dropped it. And it fell on the floor and I thought, I, if I'm really desperate to get to the Olympics here, I've got to keep going. And this was my moment. And I thought, fuck it, I'm going to go and get the drink. So I just stopped, turned around, picked up the water bottle, took the gel off it, had the gel, walked a couple of steps, had my drink, put it down. And uh, from then I knew that that was it, right? I was never going to make it from there. I was, I was falling away anyway. And um, the second half of the marathon, I thought, at 25k, I thought, right, I'm just going to run in. This is it for me. I'm done. 2016. I've had a good good innings at all this running business. This will be the last 15K of my running career. So I'm running along and I remember at about 28K or something like that, you go under this stadium. And I didn't know you went under the stadium. I didn't even look at the course. And um, I thought I'd gone the wrong way because there was no one around. <laughs> there was no one around. I'm like, am I still on the course? And I was running along and there was not. A, I couldn't see any of the other elite runners and I couldn't see any of the other mass participation people because they started behind me and it was just me. And I'm like, I have no idea where I am. Anyway, kept going. Get back out on the course and I'm running along and I'm sort of trying to enjoy it. And at this point I'm at 30K and I thought, oh, look, I've got 12K to go. It'll take me you know, 40 minutes, whatever, the pace I'm going and I'll try to enjoy it. And then I get to about 35K and I thought, fuck. I'm actually not feeling that well here. And I started to get really cold. And I, and I'm, and because it was cold, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I've got 7K to go. I don't know if I'm going to make it, <laughs> you know? And I'm, so I'm shuffling along. And then these age groupers start, well, not age groupers, other runners start to come past me, and they're flying. 
and because you've got your name on your bib because you're an elite runner, they all know who, who you are. So they're all you know, giving me a pat on the back going, you'll be right, Craig, go and keep going, blah, blah, blah. And that's at the you know at that point you're like just don't fucking talk to yeah, me just I don't just want to hear it. just leave me alone I'll yeah. let me get to the finish and that's the same for everybody you know when you're having a bad day and I remember at one point I go past this group of people because I lived in London I had a lot of people that I knew and a lot of supporters and everything and I'm running past and I hear this guy go come on Buster you'll be right get, keep going you're nearly there this is about 37 38k or something and I'm going pretty slowly and I'm I sort of go thanks you know keep going and then I hear him go. Fuck, he's really struggling. <laughs> and I turn around and go, I'm still here. I'm going so slowly, I can still hear everything you're saying. I'm not running, I'm no, not running I'm not, three flats. No, anymore, that's mate. right. I'm, I'm only five meters up the road. <laughs> and um, so I'm, I'm having a bit of a chuckle about that. That's good. Getting through it. Um, and then, you know, trying to enjoy it. Come up past Big Ben at 40, 40 and a half, 41K or whatever it is. And I'm starting to cramp a little bit in my calves. So I'm just managing that. And I don't even know how this happened but my mum and dad were in London at the time and I hadn't really seen them at all prior in fact I hadn't seen them prior to the race and I go past Big Ben and I turn right and out of the corner of my eye I see my, my dad standing on this brick wall um, just past Big Ben and mum was next to him and you know you're 10-15 people deep at this point with a crowd because it's pretty it's big there and I just saw them they were standing up there and they were just waving and I remember as I ran past I just thought that's actually pretty cool. Like I, my parents are here for the last five minutes of my career. So I gave them a thumbs up and they waved and off I went past the finish. And I actually got a bit emotional at that point And I sort of, I didn't, I welled up if I'm probably 100% honest with you because I thought, you know, this, this is it for me. Turn right coming into uh, Buckingham Palace and the age group is going either side. So the women age group is on this side, the men on there and the elites go down the middle. <laughs> and I'm so far behind the elites. I'm, you know, two and a half hours or whatever it is on the clock. And the guy who was ushering people in a different direction was a, not a mate, but it was a guy I've known forever, uh, John. And he goes, he goes, oh, Buster, you're still going. He goes, you've got to go down the middle. Oh. And I'm like, fuck, really? And he goes, yeah, mate, you've got to go down the middle. Um, so I give him a high five and I run down the middle. And I don't even think anyone saw me finish because I was so far back. So I staggered in and um, 228. 36 or whatever it is on the clock at this point and Chris Wardlaw was standing at the finish um, He was the first person I saw um, and he goes, oh, yeah, he goes, well done for finishing mate you know, It can't have been easy. I said oh, that's fine. Thanks um, And walk off and then as I'm walking off this guy from WADA World Anti-Doping Agency comes up and I'd been tested 16 times I think in the four months leading into London, which is you know Look, I'm all for that. Go, go, go your hardest. We want clean sport, absolutely. We don't want people doing the wrong thing. But, mate, if you're running 228 and a half, you're not, you're not getting any help, I can assure you. And um, so it was a bit over the top. He comes up to me and he goes, Craig, he goes, yeah, and he goes, um, you've been randomly selected for, a, for an anti-doping test. And I'm like, oh, you fucking kidding, are you? Whatever. And he goes, mate, you kept me waiting. And I looked at him with his eyes like, and Chris goes, move on move on just yeah. keep walking so we went out the back and sat down and um had to go and do the media thing saw the media and i said look that's it for me i'm i've, I've had enough um very happy with everything i've done that's it um and then sat down and the drug tester goes um do you want a power rate or something i said no just i want a cup of tea white with one thanks because i was fucking freezing i was cold i was had i, I was over it um and that was it that was the end of of my sort of running career and i i actually am really Look, I didn't have a great experience with the marathon. It wasn't for me. Um, I, I wish I had done it earlier in my career. I wish I had done one in, you know, 
in 05, 06, 07 when I was at my best. I would have loved to have known what I could have run, but I never will. Um, but what it did give me, which I'm grateful for, is a full stop at the end. Like I knew at that moment in that marathon that I was done. And I think a lot of athletes really struggle to realise that. 100%. Um, and I got on the plane and I know probably going on too long here, but one of my one of my biggest regrets was I was flying home from London after the marathon and um, I was very lucky. I got a good friend who's well connected in the airlines, gave me a first class flight there and back. So on the way home, I had this apartment on the on the airplane coming back. And as I was checking in in London, Shane Warne was checking in next to me at the airport. And I don't know Shane Warne, but we passed on various events and you know, had quick chats here and there. Uh, and so we sort of looked at each other and I'm like, I know who he is. And he looked at me probably because I've seen that guy before somewhere. So we just sort of nodded in acknowledgement or whatever. Get on the plane. He goes, sits over there. I go, sit over there. We're the only two people in first class. We didn't say a word. We get off in Hong Kong or wherever it was where we got off on the way back. Um, he goes off into the first class lounge. I go off and look at a bit of duty-free shopping. And then we get back on the plane. He goes into his thing. I go back into my thing. And we sit there, have a sleep, whatever. Get off at Melbourne Airport. And we're both waiting for our bags. And he goes, Craig. And I went, yeah, how you going, Shane? He goes, good. He goes, you just ran the marathon. I said, yeah. And he goes, how'd you go? And I went, pretty shit. And he goes, oh, we should have spoken in London because we could have got on it all the way home. I was going to say. And I'm like, <laughs> I thought this story was going to have been. <laughs> there you, was nothing good to it. You and Warney tried no. to break Booney's record. How, but, no. but how good would that have been? That would have been, that the, would have been the last chapter the in full my... Full stop. Bang. That would have been exclamation mark. Bang, right there. 54 stubbies on the way home. So anyway, we had a bit of a laugh and then off he went and off I went. And I'm in the taxi on the way home thinking, that would have just been perfect, wouldn't it? Wasn't to just to be. finish yeah. it off that way. But anyway, that wasn't meant maybe to be. Maybe you could go back in, uh, well, London is coming up soon but maybe 2021 and do oh, it with the great sk no that, that's a good story that's a good one no mate look the marathon um oh, you i reckon you'll run them again there's no doubt about that but we're look, you're not going to try to run Olympic qualifier again mm. so that's where the full stop is on that part but could it be a, could it be more perfect with your parents there they're yep. the ones that have like they would have drove you to track meets at seven absolutely eight, nine, and all these things right through the late 80s early 90s all the way in 2016 four-time olympian yep uh, world champ medalist, all this kind of stuff. So that is a beautiful way to end a magnificent running career, but you've got another 60 years of doing beautiful stuff <laughs> at the moment. Now tell us what we're going to – you're coming to Great Ocean Road as a in, in a work capacity. Yep. Are you going to run anything over that weekend? Um, I probably won't. I've run the full. I've yeah, run from Lawn to Apollo Bay. I've done the half. Um, I know there's a longer trail-based run there now, 60-odd 60, 60 Ks. Look, I'm not – to answer your question, I don't know if I'm going to run in anything. We'll be definitely down there. We have a few athletes that will be running in various capacities across the different events. I think it's one of the most beautiful marathons in the world. Um, I said that from day one when I did it. I, I really rate it. And that's why I ran it, 45K, 44.5, whatever it is. And I ran it, and I was not never bored, never, um, you know, did I get to a point where I was wishing it, wishing the end to come. I really thoroughly enjoyed it um, as a long run. So for people that are wanting to do that, um, the marathon distance in a setting where you're not trying to run fast, you're just trying to enjoy running a marathon. I think it's a really, really good run. Uh, but we've got lots of events that we have roles in various capacities. Um, I, I like the trail running scene. I like um, the vibe and the environment around that. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to get into the trail running, but I really think it's a, another alternative to to the performance road track running circuit. So. Um, going to do a, a little bit with some of those events, but you know, ultimately, I want to stay in the sport of running. That's my that's my passion. Um, I've done it 
you know, for a very, very long time. Um, and I want to give back to a sport that gave me so much. I think running needs you in the sport, great man. So tell me some quick fires. These are under a minute, Buster. Oh, yeah, I'll good be luck. strict on you. I'll be strict. <laughs> Perfect day in the life of the great Craig Buster Mottram. Get up, make crepes for my kids. Um, go to the gym, do a workout. Um, I'm into the gym more so than I am the running now. He's Try- looking very good. Eh? I'm, Listen, I'm, I'll tell you what, when it, it should be YouTube. He's ripped to the shit house. I'm trying to get bigger. Um, and then... Have have lunch with my wife. I'm more of a lunch than a dinner person. Uh, and then movie Gold Class. Love That's the Gold very Class good movies. Answer. You and got everyone in there. Just chill out. Hey, there, I did. Quick, political. Give Christian a quick mention. I give you the other two beautiful kids. A Christian, uh, Michaela, and Benjamin. Gorgeous, and the lovely Christine, of course, my wife. Yep. Um, okay. Now I know you haven't got an idol. That's an absolute lie, by the way. I'd want to go to the beach by myself and just do a little bit of surfing or just kayaking or something like that. But I got to be politically correct. Good boy. Be He's, the family man. Well, you know? you've, we'll probably take that last answer there. <laughs> Hey, um, I know you don't have idols, but yeah, have you got a favourite athlete or coach of all time? It doesn't have to be any of your coaches, but like a Lydia to Bowman, anyone, you're a student in the sport as well. Um, anyone, like, you, you mentioned Pat Clancy before. Ron Clark's probably the one. Awesome. Um, did so many great things and was a big influencer in my career when I was at my best. Um, so from a running perspective, Ron Clark's been a huge role model. From a, from a realistic point of view, from someone close at home, I've said this throughout my career, my brother, played professional basketball. I watched him really get injured very badly in 1997 and work his way back to winning a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games. So I think those sort of real stories that hit home are, are very important as well. I was a big Melbourne Tigers man. I love Neil. And Neil, mm. un- amazingly, is the only bloke in the family with a gold medal. That's right. Yep. Did Let's he, me know. Every now and then, a few like a few text messages to... Uh, well, not every now and then. More frequently than I would like. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, look, he champions, championship rings with the Tigers... Boomers gold medal at the Com Games in 06. And it was funny, when, when they had their gold medal game, that was the same night that I fell over in the 1500. So my mum and dad had to decide which where they were going to go, and they came to the MCG to watch me fall on my ass and not him to win the gold medal. So there's a bit of contention, Jeez, a bit of tension I'd, in the I'd house bring, there. I'd be bringing that up. Though. Who's mum and dad's favourite? Well, they saw yeah, me yeah, fall Anyway. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that's a great answer too. So very, very good. Now, favourite beer buster? you got your beer man? Peroni. Peroni? Yeah. Must so. be all those days in Europe. Yeah, I think so. But I never drank much when I was an athlete. In fact, very rarely. But since I've had kids, I drink every day. Oh, um, I think that's Com- pretty common standard. Practice, brother. But Peroni seems to be easy drinking. Um, and that's my favourite at the moment. Fantastic. Moving forward, tell me the future. We'll finish up on this one. Tell me the future for Craig. You can spend one or two minutes on this one. Look, if yeah. I knew the answer to that, I'd be, you know, I'd be a billionaire, wouldn't I? We can, we can never predict what's coming. So the most important thing for us is keep making decisions based on what we want to do. Um, so with our business, that is um, continue to grow and evolve in that um, junior development space. So kind of trying to help the younger kids um, in the, the fundamental enjoyment of participating in sport. We're not trying to create the best runners in the world. We're trying to create well-rounded young individuals that love their sport. And I think that's really, really important. Um, so we're going to keep doing that. Uh, and how that evolves, we're not 100% sure. We're in a really good space at the moment um, and we're just going to continue to do what we do and opportunities, as we've spoken about, I think open up. If you do good things, good things come back in return. From a family perspective, we've got three kids. We're very, very happy. We're very lucky. Um, We love where we live um, and we just want to, again, make decisions based on um, having a good time. I remember when I was growing up, the times I enjoyed the most were when we went camping, when we spent time as a family, that sort of stuff. So we're really trying to be conscious of that and, and spend time as a family and do things 
mum and dad don't necessarily want to do. So go camping and, mm. and um, but the kids really want to do and make sure that when our kids are 15, 16, 17, they still choose to hang out with us. I know that's probably not going to be the case, but we want to give them that homely environment where they feel like they can come back um, and they're in a space where they can bring their friends and have a good time. From minute one to whatever we're up to now, it's been a cracker. That many nuggets of wisdom, it'll be the kind of thing you put in your car, listen to over and over when you're on your slow jogs, just listen to one of the greatest sportsmen that Australia's ever seen. I've got no doubt about that. I won't go through his resume because we did it at the start, but... um, I can't thank you enough, mate. We'll have it. We'll have a beer later and have a good chat. And definitely at Apollo Bay, we'll catch up for a couple. But um, I thank you for coming on because the listeners and whether they're in Australia or, or overseas um, probably don't hear enough and see enough of you these days. So we're going to get him back in the uh, the mainstream, the great man. So thanks, Craig Buster Mottram, for coming on, buddy. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, and I always enjoy reliving the uh, the glory days and talking about um, my journey. And hopefully that can help and inspire some other people to. Literally, get out and have a go. Just have a go, have and a go. it doesn't matter what you do in life, or whether you're you're a, you could be a runner. We, we didn't even mention we'll we'll put. I'm all to get you on a, another episode about Park Run and the Tan. I reckon we'll talk about that later. If you look at one of their runners' episodes about the Tan, there's one named after the Buster. There's 45 minute running session or hill session. I've named one after him. He's still got the Tan record at 10:08. But um, I thank Craig for coming on. Now, listeners, coming off the back of that ridiculously amazing story make sure we are doing something today that's going to make you much much better tomorrow